0: Munda a young freedom fighter and a tribal leader was born and raised in tribal belt of Bihar and Jharkhand although he lived a very short span of life bilsa managed to mobilize the tribal community against the british regime and he forced the crown to introduce laws to protect the land rights of the tribal community hello everyone thank you so much for tuning into upw's research radio I'm Rahul Bise, and today we'll be getting in conversation with Dr. Joseph Bara. Dr. Bara is an independent scholar on tribal history and education in modern India, and was formerly with Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. He is currently based in Ranchi. This podcast is based on the article setting the record straight on Birsa Munda and his political legacy, that was published in the EPW Journal on 25th of July, 2020. Dr. Bara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah. Dr. Bara, my first question to you. Although the role of Birsa Munda has been seminal in championing the Adivasi cause, his political movements and legacy have been distorted, like other prominent mm. Indian historical figures, uh, which includes mm. Dr. Ambedkar and Gandhi as well. Until 1920, Mm -hmm. there had been any historical accounts of Birsa and the Ulgulan either by the British officials and Christian missionaries or even by the Indian scholars. Only a few Birsa's Mm -hmm. disciples quietly recorded various aspects relating to his life relying on their memory. Notable among them was the account by Bharmi Manda. What Mm -hmm. we have to say about the life and political movements of Adivasi freedom fighters have been generally neglected by the academics and writers.
1: You know, you rightly recognize the crucial role of Bitsamunda in fighting for the rights of the Arivasis in modern history of India. Now, Bitsamunda's movement against the British colonial rule took place in the closing years of the 19th century, that is, between 1895 and 1900. It was well-organized, but short-lived yet. Its ramifications were far-reaching. See, unlike other leaders, Vipsa Munda came to be recognized rather late, only from their independence. There were only fragments of knowledge on Vipsa Munda's leadership, written scantily by certain Krishna, Christian missionaries and other commentators around the time of his movement. Later, of course, some of his disciples, uh, they were half-educated, like Dipsa Munda himself, recorded the events connected with his life and works for, from their memory. It is a question to ask, it is a good question to ask, why the cognition took half a century to come? Mm. And once it came, the stature of Dipsa Munda as a freedom fighter, Rose phenomenally in the next few decades of the independence. Actually, it was literature, a uh, noble by Marseille uh, Devi, that really gave a spurt in recognizing the Samunda, and that noble was written sometime in the mid 70s. Now, such Single singular recognition of Bitsamunda actually hints to us the general neglect of a large number of Adivasi freedom fighters in Indian history. As is well known, Adivasis are the first to revolt against the oppressive policies of the British colonialism almost since the beginning of the colonial rule, which is actually little recognized. Now, to my mind, this neglect owes to our attitude of seeing Adivasi people and society, primarily as lesser humans and isolates who, when encroached upon by forces coming under colonialism, were taken aback and bewildered. And the revolted it to protect their Adivasi rights of narrow nature. Now, this is what, you know, as a teacher, I would like to say.
0: You rightly spoke about Adivasis being uh, out of the history and then right post independence era are getting the recognition. Mm-hmm. Sir, my sub-question to you is, can you give us a small brief h- how to understand the life and evolution of a person called Birsa Munda, which are the texts that a person should refer to?
1: You know, let me give you a little background. In the, as I said, Bitsamunda came to be recognized uh, in writings only since about the time of independence. And those were written by, you know, pop- popular writers for the general public uh, in the form of certain texts. Now, those in academics were indifferent to, him, to his career as a political leader. It was in 1955, a volume by the Bihar government came, Freedom Fighters of Bihar. There, a chapter, very small chapter, it's a massive book of about 1,000 pages. But space given to Vesa was only 10 pages or so. But that was the beginning, but that The elicited interest of some academics, including K. Suresh Singh, the author of The Dust Storm and the Hanging Mist, that was later published as Dev Munda and his movement by Oxford University Press in early 1980s. So that remains the only credible academic work at the moment. And, of course, he has been commented upon a lot by historians and, uh, you know, the great subalternist uh, theorists uh, theorist use it. Similarly, the those who write on millenarian movement, a uh, theory in history called millenarianism. Uh, Michael Adas had a great writer on this of this approach, he uses Bersamunda as a case study. So academically, it is well well-recognized figure now. Well, literature, I told you, Mahasata Devi wrote a novel based on, actually this is based on K-Series C book. So then you have several small publications in a routine way it Now, off and on, many publishers, uh, publishers, uh, publication keep coming, especially in regional languages.
0: Right. So, so what we have learned is pre-independence, the, the existence of Birsa was not in a, a large scale. But post-independence, we see that Birsa has evolved a lot, and in many academic um, instances, we can find him. Yeah. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. giving us the sources uh, that that you quoted. Yes, and
1: actually leading historical journals comment on his works, I mean, by way of review, of theories, essays, etc. But, you know, some kind of monograph, Hmm. uh, critique of the earlier works has not come.
0: All right, sir. So so we'll move to our second question. As far as Birsa Munda is concerned, there is a lot of criticism from both the angles, from colonialists and at the same time from the missionaries. Birsa has okay. been portrayed as a sectarian, pro-Hindu and anti-Christian instead of leading diverse Adivasi masses. Mm-hmm. Who are these people who claimed him pro-Hindu and anti-Christian? This is my first question. And my mm-hmm. following question is, Birsa's character has been tarnished in a blatant manner. Historical facts about his life and ideas mm-hmm. have been distorted at will. These developments paint the image of Birsa Munda as an Adivasi mass leader. Paradoxically, while the fame of Birsa augmented, popular and scholarly literature alike has nurtured certain misconceptions around him. This leaves Birsa as half-understood and at times even misunderstood. So, can you please talk more about this?
1: Certainly. You know, the criticism of Birsa Munar was in very abusive terms by the colonialists and the Christian missionaries. And I would say it was natural. So far as the colonialists were concerned, Bitsamunda depicted to them a long-standing Adivasi troublemaker who obstructed smooth exploitation of the rich natural resources in the tribal regions by British colonialism, as you know, and all the rich natural resources of the country, iron ore, etc all are tribal areas uh, earlier central provinces now majority is norissa um, uh, now as colonial exploitation intensified in the 19th century uh, the adivasi protest was more resolute. it also became dynamic the usual violent method gave way to constitutional movement and millenarian movement. Now, before the VISA movement, there was a three-and-a-half-decade-long sardari that I will talk about it. But this movement combined both millenarian mode of protest and the constitutional mode of protest. The unyielding colonial attitude to the Adivasi's claims, problems giving this movement created deep frustration and anger in the tribal mind. This is what young Virsa exploited for a determined action to throw away the British rule. For this, he revived the violent method of protest. That's why colonialists hated him before the, i i told you i mean this was the revival of the violent movement and in a very fruitless manner mm, because anger into tribal mind had accumulated all these years since the beginning of the colonial rule and more specifically from the beginning of the 19th century when the uh, exploitation of the tribal regions uh, was more intense now so far as the Christian missionaries, why should Christian missionaries be anti You know, this is a question which is little known. You know, the post-1850 decades shows fast spread of Christianity preached by various missionary groups in the tribal regions. Now, particularly in Chotanagpur area. Now, Chotanagpur. Uh, uh, in the Adivasis, have been very indifferent to the Christian missionaries. In many tribal areas, actually, they were indifferent. Why did they need? Uh, would they need a new religion? They, they felt that this was not needed at all. With the British, uh, with the missionaries, try to convince all this, that well, this is a better religion. We will have, uh, you know. The more, uh, better way of life by accepting Christianity, etc. They try to impress upon, but you know, the tribals were always indifferent. So, after some uh, five years or so, when the missionaries take recognize that here is the problem of the tribal, and that is the problem of their land alienation and land was very crucial in the tribal lives. They were settled agriculture on the basis of land, uh, centering on land, they had the whole cultural life. So the missionaries recognized that, and this was the time when the British uh, had started uh, talking about the rule of law and uh, the missionaries through the uh, through the courts and through the positions before the officials Uh, they they saw a few cases of the tribal land issue so that appeals the tribal and there was conversion a mass conversion now visa munda stores that he's coming as a new leader who who can be their savior Because all that missionaries did was some kind of, you know, cosmetic solution to their problem, only few cases. But here, seeing that Visamunda is a person who is a new messiah to the Adimasi masses, so he comes as a stumbling block on the way of the mission. That's why missionaries were very, very angry, very annoyed with. Now, in our times, you know, the Ghisamunda is not abused, as was done by the missionaries or the colonies, but is rather frequently misused and misrepresented, as you rightly pointed out. Now, certain dominant faith leaders appropriate him. He is thus described as pro Hindu and anti-Christian, is also projected primarily as a leader of the Munda Adivasis of the particular pocket. Particularly these kinds of misconceptions are tried, even as Vissa Munda came to be recognized as a national freedom fighter hero, mm-hmm. something very dualistically. Well, far from this, Vissa Munda was actually a mass leader whose sole aim was to drive out the British and end the system of oppression of the Adivasis. A close observation of his early life shows that he was reared as a typical Munda Adivasi child, trained in indigenous faith and cultural life. He was then exposed to Christianity and Christian schooling. He was also under the spell of a Hindu guru of Vaisnava it was you know there was Kabir Pant in this area right so you know Hinduism of that kind so he was under the scale of that guru and you know all these shades of experiences reflected in his personality and leadership that's why you know I feel that there was like there is a great liking in the appreciation, the appreciation of Vishamunda, even in academic works. Mm. Uh, Viswamunda described by mere, described by many scholars as mere fighter for Arivasitas. Uh. Whereas he stood for should be understood by us, a complete cultural existence of Adivasi people. Uh. And he talked about Munda Diso, means a boundary or a, a, a territorial area uh. which has no bounds. Where jungle ends, then the border starts. It was flexible. Mm. But he talks about the Munda state, mid-state. So he, he talks about that kind of, he had that kind of, Adivasi life for the comprehensive protection of the Adivasis. Now, his early leadership is is marked with his being a religious figure, and he had certain tenets and practices drawn from Munda indigenous faith, Christianity, and popular Hinduism. Now he makes use of, uh, of all these in his religious cult. And this cult was, this was, you know, for political mobilization. He uses them for, you know, initially he was a religious leader, but then soon he transformed himself as a political leader and he uses the platform of his religious preaching for politics, for mobilizing the Adivasi. Now, being a leader of a particular religious system did not stop him to welcome others for the Adivasi point. This is an important point we should remember. His hardcore followers were, therefore, the earlier Sadari Larai participants who were Christians, uh, neoconverse, you may say. In the earlier phase, he terrorized the Christian adversaries, taking them as blind followers of his enemies, the missionaries. And the missionaries were his enemies because they informed the colonial authorities about his moves. But later, he categorically, categorically asked his associates, not to harm the Christian Adivasis. Also, away from Munda Heartland, his other set of followers were the Orang and Karya Adivasis. So he was not confined. He was not only the uh, he was His influence was not confined to the small Munda pocket, but a large area, large masses of Munda and other tribals, other Adivasis, and other areas uh, apart from him. Munda Heartland. Now, you know, there is like of proper appreciation of 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 with of, uh, Munda even in advanced academic writings, as I mentioned in the beginning. Hmm. Virsa Munda is projected by many writers, including the subalternist writers, mainly as a fighter for Adivasi. Yeah simple rights, agrarian rights. They failed to see how underneath the agrarian rights there was a whole, you know, uh, and symbol of cultural rights that they failed to recognize. And it was the land which actually, there was a land that was a symbol of the whole cultural existence of the That is what the Mundaism uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: signified. Yes. So this is where our failure of uh, uh, when I say our academics' failure of this as a uh, tribal leader, and particularly, actually, I don't know how it came uh, occurred in the mind of a uh, filmmaker who perceived Visamunda as a non-violent person, whereas <laughs> he adopted violence. You know, he equated Visamunda, somewhat, uh, he equated uh, Visamunda with Mahatma Gandhi, and he had a film project. I don't know what happened to that, but it was being talked about some five years back. Uh, this is what I hope, I, I salute, so far as image of Visa, how this yeah. has been distorted or how this has been taken by public or professionals like academics.
0: Right, sir. So you rightly pointed out that Bersa Munda is not restricted to one community or one clan, but Bersa Munda is a bigger construction, is a bigger figure. And he thought about the entire liberation of uh, Adivasi communities and he uh, resisted against the colonial regime and, and the way he has been misunderstood. So thank you so much for this thing. So my next question to you is that, you know, while answering uh, the second question, you talked about the Sardari Ladai movement uh, in your article uh, mm-hmm. and Birsa's mm-hmm. association with it. How did Birsa inject new radicalism into the existing agitations, and Birsa also identified the friends and foes of Adivasis. Can you please elaborate on what is Sardari Ladai movement? What was the form of Sarai movement before Birsa entered it and how it changed after Birsa uh, radicalized it? In which ways Mm -hmm. did he do that? And the friends and foes of Adivasis. So, sir, uh, please uh, answer us. This is a nice question to ask. Uh, You
1: know, Sardari Ladai was a a uh, radical movement uh, uh, between 1858 and 1895. 1895, the beginning year of the MISA movement. And this stood for agrarian rights. You know, there was the problem of forced labor, there was the problem of land alienation. Mm, so, this is what the Saddar wanted to check. Now, it derives its name from the word sardha, that is, hide. the movement was by the first-generation primary school-educated Christian, Munda, and Uraama diverses, and the mode of petitioning, mode of protest fighting was very something important in the context of the peasantry and the tribal peasantry of the 19th century. The mode of mode were mode of protest and fighting was petitioning to the British authorities at various levels, including the British Parliament, or deposition before the officials, and taking agrarian cases to the judiciary. You know, uh, so let me give the context of this whole development. You know, this was a time, this was a time when uh the colonial authorities talked about the rule of law yeah she did a set of rules and for your good governance for your well-being and we are here sitting to resolve your cases on the basis of those set of rules now british also introduced education you know, this at the time as i said in the uh, earlier The Adivasis' anger and protest intensified in the 19th century as colonialism entered uh, the tribal regions in a big way. Now, this education was meant for pacifying the angry tribals as a means to pacify the tribals. Now, you know, with this combination, little education, and the education was brought by the missionaries, who were the chief educators, and the the avenue was only up to the middle level. So, with this rudimentary education, and the British insistence on the rule of law, so the and next the Christian missionaries demonstrating application of the rule of law in some agrarian cases this inspired the Adivasis to adopt it means for a struggle to restore their rights to protect themselves now you know this was as i said for three decades, and the demands are very radical. They actually asked for they very, uh, the demand uh, for their rights in a very radical way. They asked for the old rights. Old alienated land should be restored. So in this way, they were primordial in their claims. They wanted all the zamindars to be done uh, to to go away, and they even took the ruler of Chotanaku, their own ruler, Raja, actually he was an outsider, but they, he, they described him as a surfer of power, and as the head of the Jamindas, the whole exploiter class, exploiting class, and wanted him to go, but later they modified the position to retain the Raja. But they remained very assertive for the restoration of their rights. And they wanted to, they wanted Shotanaku, free from injustice. Uh, this is all about the Sardari Larai. This actually, as a young man, he was very sensitive. I mean, all families, the whole society was victim of the hotline alienation, exploitation of the Jamindas and the British policies. So from the beginning he was very sensitive but he was a very sensitive man. So as a young person he had he he closely observed this. Then seeing that well this kind of Petitioning this kind of uh, you know requesting the the officials that doesn't help. Even the Indian Governor of Bengal, that's the supreme authority there locally, uh, visited Kolkata, uh, visited uh, Ranchi to solve the problem, but nothing came out. That was in eighteen ninety. So all this development he sees before him. And then he takes a decision. Let's fight in a new way. That's why he asked his followers hmm, to dispense with this petitioning and adopt bows and arrows, these traditional weapons. Yeah. He mobilized his masses and then he instructed them well, prepare. The bow and arrow in a big way, in a large scale. Then he planned for attacks at various stages and various places. And this is how he came with this particular frustration caused by the failure of the Larai that launched him as a leader. Uh, in in place of Sardari Sardarilalai, which stood for uh, constitutional means. Mm. They were hardly violent, uh, except there were some minor disturb- disturbances uh, to attack a few uh, few landlords and their men. Uh, they hardly resorted to violence. Mm. So now, in a very distinct manner, Baisa Munda asked his followers, asked his men. To use violence as a method, because you know, without that, nobody is going to listen. Nobody is going to uh, give us our right. So let us adopt a different method, and that is a violent method, which was the earlier method. That is one. Then he says, uh, attack all the outsiders. Hmm. All, ex- uh, when I say outsiders, exploiting, outside, uh, exploiting outsiders. There were non-tribals, non adivasis who had been living there for centuries. They were not their enemies. Those recent migrants, migrants, the dominant classes, the Jamindas, landlords, and their men, he asked them to exterminate. Number three, you know, Sardari Rai wanted basically rights and didn't have any. They also wanted to dispense with the Raja uh, Jamindari rules. But then they were not very clear what should be the future of the Adivasi rule. Now he is very clear here is our this room this is our country and we should be the rulers mm. and in this room there shouldn't be any scope of exploitation all should be uh, in, the, in, a, in, a, in a in a peaceful you know in the, in the uh, spirit of brotherhood not high and low exploiter and the exploited that is was that was his vision this these are the three ways he uh default right, the, huh.
0: listeners this is the ending of our part one in the next part of our podcast we'll discuss topics such as imitation act of 1897 chota nagpur tenancy act of 1908 we'll also talk about how Birsa injected new radicalism into the existing agitations and his spiritual quest that led him to fight against the British rule and unjust laws against the tribal communities. I recommend reading the entire article by Dr. Joseph Bara as it gives important information about the Adivasi community. It also gives us details about Birsa Munda and his life. I have shared the link of the article in the description of the podcast and it is free to access on the EPW Engage website. Thank you so much for tuning into APW's Research Radio. I'm Rahul Bhise and I'll see you in the next part of our podcast.